Let's do this. And I think that what we need to do is we need to get together and do a national and international movement of people of mass mobilization in the streets and in our workplaces to use our power to fight this. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking with just a little flight information. We're flying at an altitude of 37,000 feet and our airspeed is 400 miles an hour. A couple little facts here, I'm packing a Colt King Cobra, that's a 357 caliber firearm with a black rubber grip and a 6 inch barrel, capable of piercing body armor at a distance of up to 27 feet, and I can put a hole in human bone and flesh the size of the Grand Canyon, which, by the way, is coming up on the left hand side of the plane, so just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the plane. No, not you, not you. Your organization's terrible. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you're Boy Scout, but you know life. You know life. You know I'm totally off script right now. Hey, News Dive listeners, it's Sam Carliner coming back. Uh, we're, we're doing the show again. I am not joined by the usual team, my co-host Shane, of course, and our producer Sophie. That is entirely because uh, I'm lazy and we need to get news using software that lets us record with multiple people. Uh, and so this is the episode you're getting this week. That said, I am very excited to be joined by someone who I am, I'm thinking is going to have some great takes on a lot of the U.S. I have very few things, but I do have takes. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be great. Um, so it, it, U.S. news, we were going to do some foreign policy stuff, but then a hurricane happened along the East Coast and a hurricane of conservative right-wing fundamentalism, uh, religious fundamentalism happened in Texas. Uh, And so we're going to be talking about uh, various horrible things that are happening in this country. And so I am joined by Ezra Brain, a writer at Left Voice. And if people know, I think Left Voice is the best source for... covering horrible things happening in this country. Of course, I'm biased. I write for Left Voice. But so does Ezra. Uh, Ezra (laughs) usually focuses, I would say, on a a bunch of different things. But I personally really like your gender sexuality writing, a lot of labor stuff too. And you recently wrote about the hurricane and uh, in general how capitalists are the reason that these disasters we're seeing are so bad. We'll get into all of that. Um... And, oh, and there it is. Your internet connection is unstable. So we're going to hope that that's not a problem. Ezra, thank you so much for being on Newsdive. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to to be here and show up the uh, very, very awesome guests you've you've had before. I listened to a couple of my fellow Left Voice colleagues on uh, Newsdive and became very apprehensive of being able to live up to specifically Julia's fire performance with Ben Shapiro takes. Uh, No, I was so happy with how that episode turned out, um, and I'm sure I will be happy with how this one turns out. And I'm gonna, I think, we'll get into Texas. Texas is, I think, gonna be the meatier topic we get into. Uh, But that said, I will start with, how are the subways? Are they functioning in the city that you live in, which is New York City? In the city that I live in, um, as of this morning, 
the subways that I personally use are functioning. Um, as of Friday, they were not fully functioning, and I was a full 45 minutes late to work because the subway w didn't run and then held for 15 minutes and then told everyone to get the fuck off. For those of you who do not live in the tri-state area, probably a good thing this past week because we got, as tends to happen, anytime we get rain that's heavier than, than a drizzle, our entire infrastructure completely fucking falls apart. And that happened again. And um, obviously, on a more serious note, several people, including a two-year-old child, died um, as a result of the really, really insufficient and, like, corrupt... Uh, handling of the environmental crisis, both like on a global scale, but also specifically in like a New York City can't get its shit together in terms of the subways and continues to be a problem. Yeah, and I mean, I'm in New Jersey, so not New York City, but actually I think we talked like right before the yeah. storm really kicked in. Like that night there was ominous lightning, of course. I was very fortunate that the apartment building that I am usually in and was in that night uh, is was not near any of the parts of my town that were flooded. But, you know, of course, walking around like, like the next day, people just had all of their stuff that got destroyed out on the street. A lot of people, you know, throughout the night were trying to get their basements unflooded. Um, and, yeah, no, entire s streets just turned into rivers. And I don't know, I mean, infrastructure-wise in, in, of course, Newark, Jersey City, you know, that's more of a problem. NJ Transit, just all of the lines except for the Atlantic City line were shut down, and uh, we have been horribly underfunding NJ Transit for so long. I can uh, go off on, as someone who is not able to drive for disability reasons, how furious it makes me that uh, our public transportation system is so underfunded. I was going somewhere with this. Oh yeah, and then of course we also, while the tri-state area, state area was bad, you also had Hurricane Ida hitting uh, New Orleans oh, and yeah. uh, causing all sorts of damage there. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, it goes into what you said that uh, our infrastructure is underfunded. Meanwhile, the MTA gave like, was it millions or billions to- It was five, the people. MTA in 2019, I believe, spent, uh, I believe it was $500 million over a couple of years to put NYPD officers in the subway. Um, and this will not be news to anyone who lives in the tri-state area and has written the MTA, um, but none of those officers um, are ever wearing masks. The city of New York, in its infinite wisdom, um, spent $500 million to, you know, put this army of maskless thugs in the subway to, you know, terrorize and brutalize people of color and poor people and working class people on the subways. And then meanwhile, you know, we're putting all this money into doing that, but then we're putting no money into, um, you know, protecting from, you know, flooding and all these other things and, you know, making sure they run more smoothly, putting in new lines. We are, we are choosing, and again, I say we when I mean the city of New York, which is, again, like many of these cities that we're seeing, controlled almost entirely by the Democrats are choosing that their priorities are to increase the police presence versus protecting infrastructure. And that's what we've seen in police budgets across the country, right? And that was obviously a huge sticking point of last summer. And I don't think, I'm sure I'm not telling anybody who listens to this podcast anything they don't know. But like, you know, that's why one of the main demands of the movement in New York was the stripping of the NYPD funding. 
because we're spending billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars on this army, again, of maskless thugs to murder kids. You know, you know, they're beating up, they're killing black and brown teenagers, black and brown working people all over the country and all over New York. And we are deciding to fund that instead of funding infrastructure or affordable housing. Many of the people who died uh, in New York died because they were in illegal basement apartments where they were forced to go, um, in some cases, because they were undocumented migrants. And, you know, that is capitalism in a nutshell. That is how the city of New York functions economically, is they get all of these really, really precarious, economically disadvantaged people, many, almost all of whom are, you know, working class people of color, and they stick them into some of the most precarious work situations, some of the most precarious health situations, some of the most precarious schooling situations, some of the most precarious housing situations, and then just hold up their hands when these people inevitably fall victim to the terrible conditions that they are forced into by the state of New York. And we have to be really, really clear that this is a attack. This is class warfare, right? And this is, at the end of the day, how capitalism functions. And what we are seeing is the exact thing that so many of us on the left have been calling out for years, right? And that, you know, I think it becomes really clear when we're seeing you know, these terrible fundings, and it seems like there's a different natural disaster every every week as the climate crisis worsens, that, you know, we can't have small solutions to major problems, you know? Sorry, I feel that was very... Diverse. No, that was perfect. And you do, I will plug your article at Left Voice, There's Nothing Natural About the Disasters We're Seeing, uh, because I do think it it's a very good uh, written version of, of what you're getting into, and one point you mentioned, which I don't think you mentioned in that uh, in that whole run, but that is, I think, worth emphasizing, is that New York City, I think as of this year, for a while it was San Francisco, but like as of this year at least, New York City is the most expensive city to live in. And you're paying to live in the most expensive city to live in and drowning in your basement. That's like, that's not a functioning world where that happens. I also, and, and of course we can talk and probably should talk more about the fact that New York City is a, a city controlled by Democrats, uh, but also of course I think uh, the, the emphasis uh, on the politicians is necessary. Then you also have the businesses. I mean, you yeah. write about how Amazon stayed open. There was that viral uh, image on Twitter of the DoorDasher who was walking through essentially like a lake with their bike delivering food uh, because I guess DoorDash can keep running during a hurricane and grotesquely people would use DoorDash during a hurricane. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, let's also talk about how uh, of course, politicians are absolutely uh, prioritizing the needs of businesses. Then you also have the actual businesses that are uh, more concerned with, and we saw this during the pandemic, they don't really protect anyone's safety if mm -hmm. they uh, put people in dangerous situations, if uh, it keeps them making money for the day. Absolutely, right. And it's like, you know, I think the, like you said, Sam, the, what, COVID, I think, made so clear to everybody is that at the end of the day, your boss doesn't give a fuck about you, right? At the end of the day, whatever company you work for, 
And, you know, even if you work for like the state, at the end of the day, your boss's primary goal is to extract as much surplus value out of you as possible, right? And so if that means forcing you back into work when it's not safe, they will do that. If it means stripping your unemployment benefits so that they can force you back to work when you don't want to go, they will do that. If it means forcing you to work during a hurricane, they will do that. The uh, Amazon factory, the Amazon warehouse on Staten Island was, was open. It stayed open. Um, Staten Island, is it Staten Island? I Staten Island, that's the one where Chris Smalls was doing the thing. Yes, I think it is Staten Island. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I know Staten Island is one. I, uh, yeah, is like great. one of the prominent shitty images. Um, and shout out to the really great um, organizers um, there who have been trying to do um, good work and trying to get a sort of um, resistance process to the terrible, terrible conditions that started for a couple of years now. Um, doing really good work. So I just want to give them sort of a, a shout out. But um, yeah, right. And exactly what you're saying is that, is that what we're seeing is that, you know, even when it's not safe, even when it's not even particularly, it doesn't even make sense. The subways were shut down. How were they supposed to get to work? But they still did it. And there was that great, uh, I say great, that really um, enlightening um, screenshot that was going around from the Lyft driver that was showing A, how Lyft had boosted the prices during the hurricane, and B, how almost all of that higher price went directly to Lyft and the driver didn't get any of it. Mm-hmm. And like, that is what we're talking about, is that it's about how can we pay you the least amount of money and steal the most from you? And that's what they're doing. And if they have to put our lives at risk, they're more than willing to do that. And they keep showing that. And that's why, again, you know, I think, it's been a really interesting week to sort of reflect on the kind of mainstream um, talking points about climate change, which are all like, um, I know the one I always think of is that dreadful, uh, I think it's an Amazon ad, when it's like, the world is dying, climate change is ravaging, the, you know, all these places. Help us send our into space. <laughs> <laughs> while we send our into space. And that's why we, we at Amazon are going to commit to being carbon neutral by 2050. And like, they're, you know, and it's like, cool. Like, how, like, minor can you be, right? And it's, and like, anytime, you know, I, I read these, like, um, statements from corporations or politicians or Biden speeches on it, and it's all of these just like, half-assed chicken shit responses right to like something that's you know killing people across the world right and causing all sorts of terrible terrible problems and we're just not doing anything about it right and then you know every couple of years people come to us and say hey vote for us because we're gonna fix climate change and then they don't right biden was elected oh i'm i'm gonna listen to science or i'm gonna address science climate change and then did what we're watching some of the worst climate disasters in human history and what is happening what are they doing nothing and well, it's indicative and so like yeah please i would go a step further and say it's not that he's not doing nothing he's actively um he just like this week uh, opened up millions of acres of land to a uh, drilling auction speculation of sorts i i i'm forgetting the exact phrasing but he essentially he 
opened up a bunch of land uh, to basically fossil fuel companies can now potentially have access. Uh, he's encouraging drilling. He is uh, at, he's allowing Line 3, which we've covered on the show in Minnesota, to be built. Uh, this disgusting tar sands pipeline, which violates uh, treaties of indigenous communities. Uh, so it's, and the fact is, it's because, um, and I'm, I think you could argue, and, and there is, I think, uh, a lot of discussion that the fossil fuel industry does not necessarily i mean the fossil fuel industry is of course a very powerful force in capitalism you could argue that there's sectors of capital that support more you know green energy uh that could make eventually take charge but but the gist is that biden is never going to seriously address climate change because even even if say he actually does oppose fossil fuels uh, he won't act, he won't oppose it in any meaningful way it'll just he will because he won't be opposing overproduction because it's the overproduction where you get the profit yeah. uh, and so in terms of factory farming and in terms of just it, it, really everything he's you he can't even if he wants to and there's a thing where I and I'm sure we have probably some listeners here who still support, who still think Bernie would have been better. Maybe he would have been, you know, somewhat better. But the fact is that when people are like, oh, we could have had a president who would have challenged, um, challenged uh, climate change. It's like, no, because essentially it's not the job of the president to really support a system that could meaningfully socialism being the system i was to say it uh, it's it's not the job of the president to meaningfully uh challenge climate change it's yeah. the job of the president to manage the interests of capital and if the interests of capital are to sort of be less aggressive on the climate they'll do that but essentially they'll never be able to really fight climate change because that would mean not supporting capitalism at all totally I, and i always think about uh, and this is uh, an author in a book who i think a lot of people including me have very legitimate criticisms of but i always remember when i right when i came out i read naomi klein's uh, no is not enough which is her book she wrote in like early 2017 and that was like a huge radicalizing moment for me and again a lot of problems with, with klein a lot of problems with that book but in it she writes about how actually republicans are much more coherent on climate change than Democrats are. Because she was like, listen, if you believe that climate change is happening, then that means you have to believe that we need a meaningful shift in the way our world works. You have to be willing to, to address the root causes, which are at the end of the day, capitalism. And the Democrats aren't willing to do that. And so the Republicans have the more coherent policy of just saying, eh, no, it doesn't exist. Right. Which then allows you versus the Democrats are always trying to like thread this like impossible needle. Um, and we'll talk about more about threading impossible needles when we get to Texas, because I think that's sort of what the Republicans are trying to do there as well. But I think that with on the climate, what we're seeing is that, you know, the Democrats are between this, you know, their rhetoric says they want to they believe science and they want to help the climate. And that's what their base is voting for them to do. But at the same time, they cannot you know, bite the hand that feeds them in terms of their corporate overlords, right? And so like, and, I, and that I think is really, really important is that the it's not so much that like these people could be doing something and aren't, though obviously like in a more sort of like 
literal way they could. But at the end of the day, the Democratic Party apparatus, because it relies upon the funding of these, you know, fossil fuel companies, right, of these people and relies upon the traditional functioning of capitalism in order to, you know, keep going and is committed politically and ideologically to that, can't. So it's so even if, if Bernie had won, like you were saying, Sam, he still would have had to navigate this impossibly impossible to navigate terrain, which would have ended probably much the same way with basically jack shit being done. Because also the institutions of American quote unquote democracy are not set up to meaningfully address climate change. Well, that is actually, I think, a perfect transition. Uh well, first of all, I will say what we I could talk for a million years about climate change. We've really been needing to do more <laughs> conversations about it on the show and just haven't. Um, but to be fair, a lot of stuff's happened. But yeah, um, obviously, I'm going to plug people should check out the environmental section at Left Voice. I've written for it. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff. But that said, when we talk about the uh, institutions of American democracy uh, not being able to meaningfully fight climate change, let's talk about the very, very blatant example of American institutions not being able to fight for something else, and that is the right to free, safe, legal abortion. And I would say even beyond the abortion, even beyond the attack on abortion rights, which we're seeing in Texas in general, I think this this is a larger example of the Democrats and the courts cannot be counted on to fight very, I would say, very well-established and long-standing uh, cultural value, culture wars, attacks on communities that ultimately have always been oppressed. I mean, that we should talk about specifically the angle of abortion, and I think we'll, we'll zoom in on that first. Uh, but I, as I think we'll get into, this is also, of course, the larger issue of... Uh, uh, basically attacks on oppressed communities um so yeah do you do you want me to give the general info about what's going on in texas or do you want to take it um yeah you uh you can yeah please all right yeah <laughs> okay i think i basically remember the details which is uh recently uh in texas there was a ter i would say terrifying and it really is interesting that I have not seen, like, obviously people have been talking about it, but I don't really think we've seen the amount of horror for what's going on, which is that uh, after a very long time of the Republican Party uh, going after Roe v. Wade and, in general, uh, trying to combine their religious views on abortion uh, within the state. Uh, in Texas, they have passed a law which bans abortion uh, basically after six weeks of in of um, I'm, inception's not the word, Jesus Christ. Um, inception. Conception. I'm really, really upset that my brain was just going to inception. Yeah, it's, it's so six weeks uh, which is, there are all sorts of examples of just how ridiculous that yeah. is. It's like two weeks after missing your period. Uh, and and I, I do think I want to clarify that um, 
is being painted as a, of course, an attack on women's rights, which it is. Obviously, the it's Republicans are and the right are viewing it as an attack on women. Uh, I do want to clarify that also uh, people who aren't women can still get abortions. Um, but generally, it's, it is the – if you miss your period, uh, two weeks, and then it, you, that's all you get. Uh, and it makes no exceptions for, I believe, rape, incest – uh, pedophilia. I mean, you could have subject a twelve-year-old to this. Essentially, uh, it's absolutely vile. I, I my understanding is that there are sort of exceptions for if the women's if if sorry if the um, person's life is at risk if they give birth. Uh, although those exceptions are also apparently designed in a way where they're not really any meaningful exceptions. Like it's impossible. And that is, of course, the, uh, I, I'd say the horrible, terrifying, extreme examples that we already knew uh, conservatives were pursuing. But where it gets even more just truly mind-boggling that people aren't raising more hell about this is that it places a bounty on anyone who assists with the abortion. So, for example, uh, if a doctor delivers an abortion, if an Uber driver takes someone to get an abortion, if a friend or family member uh, supports their loved one in getting an abortion, the state pays people $10,000. Of course, we don't have the money for infrastructure. Uh, in Texas, where the prices. electrical grid goes down anytime there's a fucking... But yeah, no, I mean, well, this was the thing. People were freezing to death in Texas because their power grid just crashed. Uh, and and they can't, they are not bothering to fix that, but they are bothering to give put $10,000 bounties on anyone who assists with an abortion. Uh, and, of course, there's all, one, it's, it's just all sorts of ways. I mean, I just think about, like, what Uber drivers are going to in Texas, who's going to be an Uber driver who takes someone to get into abortion, uh, largely black and brown people who uh, are poor and need money. And of course this, uh, so along with attacking, uh, you know, uh, anyone, women and queer people who may need to get an abortion, uh, sex workers, all sorts of people from, uh, you know, the most marginalized communities, you also then have the additional uh, just open way that this bounty thing can be used to go after black and brown communities, poor communities, and it's it's just... I mean, it's disgusting, and I did want to have you on the show, one, because I think you, you have a lot of good takes on um, basically sexuality and gender issues, and also you've been, I think, signaling more than most people I talk to, or at least keeping tabs on how on how uh, the right seems to be trying to, as, as they sort of distance, as the Republican Party sort of distances itself from Trump, they're, they're reviving this culture yeah. war, which we were used to but they yeah it's yeah totally um i want to just say um before we jump into the discussion that um reproductive health care including abortion um is a right period um and should be free to any who need it um at point of use without any uh, yeah without any restrictions uh, free abortion on demand free abortion on demand um 
In terms of, of the right, um, this is my, uh, you mentioned that I have takes. This is my sort of big take, um, which is that I think uh, the Republican Party is in crisis. That's not a take, right? That is something that basically everyone agrees on. Um, I think that we, you know, that sort of reached its eruption and the kind of days and weeks after the election where Trump and his wing were um, fighting the election and were putting pressure on Republican uh, elected officials in Georgia and elsewhere. Uh, and then Trump began to go on sort of an active public offensive against, among other people, Mitch McConnell. Um, and so we saw the sort of the, the uh, splintering of the, of the Republican Party that, of course, was only made uh, more acute by the events of January 6th, um, where some members of the Republican Party really, really opposed uh, the storming of the Capitol, while others were much more uh, generous to that sector. Um, and so what I would argue is that I think that we are seeing sort of three main wings of the Republican Party um, in the sort of current moment. Um, I would say the first one that we're seeing is um, what I like to call the Mitt Romney Republican. Um, we could also think of this as like the Mitch McConnell wing, the sort of your classic, your classic Republican. Fiscal conservative is kind of their big one, right? Small government, defund social programs, things like that, right? And then you have the what I call the Mike Pence wing, which is you know your evangelical, religious, hyper social conservative, much more focused on social issues than on um, like finance, right? Um, and then last is that you have the Trump wing, right? Your more um, anti authoritarian, anti authoritarian, anti establishment. Um, much more sort of right-wing identitarian, racist. I mean, I would say all three of these wings are pretty racist, but I would say they are the most outwardly and explicitly. Um, and they're the ones who are also interestingly sort of more populist in a lot of their politics. So they are the ones who tend to be more isolationist in terms of foreign policy in direct sort of contradiction to the, you know, Mitt Romney kind of neocon, neo-neocon perspective, right? Um, and I think this is creating uh, this crisis for the Republican Party, right? Is that you have these three wings that don't really agree on much. And um, they're like pulling at each other. And I would say the reason we haven't seen like, you know, really big breaks in them is that because the Democrats are in power basically across the board, they are able to not have to actually put forward an agenda. So the Republican Party is being allowed the show of unity by the fact that they are in opposition. Um, and then also, I would say that this creates kind of strategic problems, right? Is that they can't agree on why they lost. So the the Trump wing argues they didn't lose, right? Uh, and that they, you know, there was just like shenanigans um, of sort of an unspecified those, nature. Those and damn that's why Venezuelan they voting machines. Those damn Venezuelan voting machines, right? That's sort of the Trumpist wing, right? Which is almost a like abstentionist position, right? Um, and then you, um, abstentionist in terms of not wanting to kind of contribute to the, to the postmortem of what went wrong. And um, what these people say is that they're like, well, the reason um, that we lost across the board is that you guys didn't support Trump enough. Is that like, it's a, you know, we gotta stay strong. We gotta stay, this is the, this is what, what people want. Look at how many people came to us for hours, right? Um, but then, and I think this is interesting because we saw the starting literally the night of the election, where I believe it was like early the next morning, Mitch McConnell made a speech 
where he said, um, well, we clearly lost the suburbs and we have to see what we need to do to, to get them back, which I would say is also my analysis of what happened is that I would argue there are these geographic and demographic shifts rather that are I happening. Mean, oh, Please. sorry, J- just interact, interject, because I don't follow elections because I, I'd rather just bash my head into a wall than follow election news closely. But from what I just from what I've read, it, yeah, it's, it's I think it's like pretty established that whether or not that's the reason they lost, the Democrats are now shifting to the suburbs. Um, yes. And I think that what's interesting is that so I grew up in, in, in North Carolina and so having sort of on the like about a word front lines of this for a while is that actually what we're seeing is we're seeing all of these this sort of explosion in urban and suburban areas specifically in the south which is the re- which is what gave the democrats georgia right and is what is eventually going to give the democrats texas like people thought texas might go blue in 2020 obviously it didn't um but like every sort of election guru kind of agrees it's basically only a matter of time until the kind of rise of the latino vote and the rise of the suburban areas i actually want to sorry one quick second to interject to say that what and we'll get into more of the democrats this inability to address oh we'll get into it (laughs) i do think it's just the the closest thing I saw to opposition, and not close at all, but the closest thing I saw was that as soon as soon as this is this horrible law passed, Beto was once again trending on Twitter. Cool. Yeah, I mean there was that great meme that was going around Instagram, right? That was Republicans attack fundamental human rights. Democrats, oh no, give us fifteen dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, what they were doing. But anyway, but so then you have this. Um, this group um, who believes that it is this um, the loss of the suburban white voter, right? Um, and this mirrors a uh, report that was written in 2012 after Romney lost um, that argued that they need to create a new Republican party that was racially diverse that focused more on economic issues instead of sort of social issues, right? And obviously Trump threw that out the window, right? And so it's interesting is that we, we see this moment where we see that the Republicans have these three different wings, right? You have your even you have your financial conservatives and you have your your trumpsters right and these three can't agree on much but the one thing that all three of these people agree on is these sort of culture wars issues and i think that is why we are seeing a revival of the culture wars in specifically southern red states um that began as an attack on trans youth and then continue to an attack on voting rights and then continue to obviously this attack on um, reproductive freedom um, in Texas. But I think that it's important that this began as an attack on trans children and the same level of sort of ultra, like almost like dystopian repression that we're seeing in this uh, Texas bill with the fucking like Wild West wider bounty and shit is that we saw that with like the Texas trans youth bill that I believe has failed or at least has uh, is kind of been lost in the state, state Congress, um, designated gender affirming healthcare as child abuse. And so what that meant is that if you were a parent of a trans child who was supportive and decided to give your child the care they needed, you would be, you would be listed as a child abuser by the state of Texas and your child will be taken away from you. And so what we're seeing is once again, the Republicans only care about small government and personal freedoms for fucking cis white men. Those are the only people 
who they care about small government and freedoms for, and they only care about that for the for the richest of them, right? And so there is basically no protection for you know any of these other marginalized groups um, under the under the Republican sort of ideology. And so I think it's really really important that obviously we completely denounce what's happening in Texas. We completely denounce all attacks on our bodily autonomy all attacks on people's ability to fucking like get healthcare, all of these things need to be denounced and these are being led in these states by Republicans. However, I also think Sam, as you pointed out, it's important that we highlight that there is a party that ran on a pro-choice platform, was elected explicitly to defend abortion rights and is absolutely not doing that. And instead is telling us to donate money. And the fact that the complete response by not just the like political class, but also all these activist groups has just been to sit on their hands or call for donations is ridiculous. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the country, and they haven't called any national mobilizations. Like, it's ridiculous. This is like, I was talking to her comrade the other day, and she said, if Trump was president, there would be protests right now. And that's without that question. Goes for, uh, of course, this a lot of things. Just the amount of things that Biden has done. Uh, I, I would honestly say the handling, how he's handled the pandemic, is at the very least on par with how badly Trump handled it. But that's Absolutely. a whole separate conversation. No, but like the state of Texas, legally, because this is because the Supreme Court, who we're going to talk about in a second, do defend supported this and upheld it. The state of Texas is paying people $10,000 to hunt down people who have abortions. That is creating, that is validating vigilantism and militias. That is what the state of Texas just did, and that is what the Supreme Court just did. And the response from the activist left is to sit on their hands. And the response of the Democratic Party is to say that sucks. And the response of these institutions of quote unquote American democracy is not only to not do anything, but is to intervene to support the this repression. The state of Texas is paying $10,000 to people to hunt down people who have abortion and we're doing nothing to, to fight that. No, it truly is. I mean, I really, and that's the thing, like, I feel like a lot of things, you know, I do feel like, like, when Trump was elected, it was like a slow burner till I really was like, oh, like this is what's going on. And I feel like this, and then a bunch of awful things have happened. And I, for the most part, even with the pandemic, I feel like for the most part, I was able to adjust somewhat while they were happening. And I think this is the first one that has just been so batshit and just horrible with its implications, not to like play down a lot of the other batshit horrible with its implications things that we've seen, but I think like this one really has just been one that has been a slow burner for me, but I also think part of why it's been a slow burner is because people aren't reacting to it with, with the energy that it calls for, with just how ridiculous it is. I do want to get into the the what opposition should look like but before we touch on that uh, i want to ask you and you know i guess technically play devil's advocate for what what do you say to people who'd be like oh well this is because trump was able to report three supreme court justices like th th this is 
Trump's fault because I I have been seeing too many people take that I would say easy and incorrect way out. Like how how do we counter that narrative? Yeah. So like I think like on a very like base level, that's correct, right? Like because Trump and the Republicans were able to get these three justices on the court, that is why this was upheld, right? If those judges were not on the court, they probably like if. Obama had gotten three extra judges on the court, probably, almost certainly, that law would have been struck down. But I think what that raises is this sort of more, at least for me, more philosophical question about what sort of society you want to live in. And I guess to me, I don't want to live in a society where one bad president for four years means that we don't have the right to bodily autonomy anymore. And I don't want to have to go before a group of nine unelected people who serve for life and beg for my fundamental human rights, you know, as a um, as a queer person and as a trans person, it feels like my my basic like humanity is constantly being legally debated by nine unelected people who serve for life, and I don't think anybody can like reasonably say that's a good system. Uh, and so, if we have agreed that nine unelected people who serve for life deciding what we get to do with our bodies is not a good system then i think the question becomes okay so then a what's a better system and b how do we fight for it and i think without question a better system would be one where we are liberated and one where we get to sort of decide for ourselves how we want to um use our bodies and where we live in a in a country that doesn't, in a society that doesn't, you know, need this hyper-marginalized, hyper-oppressed class of people to exploit for profit. And once we say that that's the society we want to fight for, what we have to say is, is that realistic to fight for in a current one? Can we change the current society where nine unelected people who serve for life can decide what we can do with our bodies? Um, can we make that into something worthwhile and can we make that into something worth living in and I think kind of without question the answer is no um and I'm seeing a lot of you know very smart people now right call for packing the court right and even setting aside whether or not that would even work and I tend to believe it, it wouldn't I tend to believe that, that would be you know just like with Roosevelt would be stopped pretty quickly um but let's say the that you know progressives progressive democrats were successful in packing the court with a bunch of liberal you know, reproductive health care loving judges, right? Then the Republicans will just pack it again, or those judges will decide something else, right? One of uh, Justice Ginsburg's last decisions was stripping indigenous communities of their land rights. Like that was one of her last decisions. And she signed it with the, with the oil pipelines and she was a Zionist, right? And so this, you know, and then you know, made all of these rulings that just created the system. And so what, and I, I say that to me is that it's not a good practice, in my opinion, to say, well, no, 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 no. What we need to do is just get the right nine unelected people who serve for life to decide what we can do with our bodies. If we just get the right people on that body, no problems. That's just not a good system. And so then once you've decided that this system fundamentally is incompatible with human liberation, which I would say any society where nine unelected people who serve for life can decide what you do with your body is not a 
is not a society or not a system that values human liberation. Then once we get rid of that, once we say we don't want that, then the question becomes, okay, then we cannot do anything that supports that. Then we cannot spend our time, we cannot spend our energy, we cannot spend our organizing ability protecting, defending, or building this system. And so then the question becomes, what helps the system and what helps bring it down? And I think without question, all of these attempts to reform the Supreme Court just kind of go into this illusion that there is a good Supreme Court. Like the only good version of the Supreme Court is one that is fully elected and fully recallable. And that's not possible under the American Constitution, right? So like, it's just not possible. American quote unquote democracy, capitalist democracy cannot be changed into anything that values human liberation because it wasn't created to do that. Like that's not why it exists. It exists to protect the interests of slave owners and it continues to do that, except now the slave owners are CEOs, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, the same fucking cycle. And that cycle, unfortunately, is called capitalism. And it's been, you know, really well documented, really well analyzed in all these things. And the only solution, the only response to capitalism that has ever, ever, ever been effective at ending capitalism is revolution. There has been no other attempt to end capitalism other than through revolution that has been successful. So then that is where we have to end. And if that's what we realize is the only solution to this problem, then we can't support the people who are gonna fight us, right? We can't be voting for Biden and the Democrats knowing that the first time we go out on the street, they're gonna send fucking National Guard people to gas us. And like, I was on the streets in New York City where every single fucking night, an army of maskless thugs came out, ordered by Democrat Bill de Blasio and Democrat Democrat Andrew Cuomo, and we saw what the fuck happened to him, to come out and like be and like seriously injure and seriously traumatize and seriously hurt these people. And then get a lot more money too. And get a lot more money, right? And like, you can't tell me that that is a party and that is an ideology that we should support. And so I think I totally understand, especially in moments like this when we're like, oh fuck because of Trump, we, you know, now we don't ha have Roe v. Wade. And I think that's like a super legitimate reason to be upset and a super legitimate reason to be scared. And I guess the problem is why would you, why should we assume that just doing more of the same will produce a different result? We've done it. Biden is president, Obama was president, Clinton was president, right? Lots of Democrats have been president and we're in here we are. And it is a systematic problem that needs systematic solutions. So that's my bit on the fucking Supreme Court. <laughs> Good. No, I love it. Um, and I think I think like the last topic I do want to get into is that yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> for listeners who have not picked up my biases yet, um, I obviously am fully on board with socialist revolution. Um, th that said, and I this is like the thing. It's, yeah, it's not going to happen right away. That is a it takes a long process to successfully have that. Uh, which I would not say is a reason to put off doing it. I would say, if anything, that is the reason to start getting involved and in organizing for it right now. That said, of course, there are the attacks that are being uh, gone after right now that need to be defended. I appreciate that Left Voice uh, has, has always taken the issue that, like, yes, we need to have a revolution to really 
address these issues, but we also need to fight for reforms and protections in the moment right now and injustice where it happens. And of course, um, the uh, we have contacts in Argentina uh, and I think across Latin America who have uh, created successful movements, mass movements. Yeah. Uh, for the right to abortion. I mean, just at the day that we're recording this, uh, it was uh, in Mexico. They, well, the movement won, uh, I believe it was the right to abortion. Uh, I I wish I had brushed myself up on the specific, but it, it was a big gain for that. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what that fight uh has looked like in, yeah. in, in Poland, in Latin America, Which and how do we have that fight right now? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a bit of a delay, so I started talking on my end, so editing might be a little weird. Um, but Sam, your question is, how do we build a movement here? What, yeah, like how, or how do we do it, and what inspiration can we draw from international fights that we've seen for abortion? I think one of the great, like, tragedies of, like, our generation, because um, Sam, you and I are, are, are very close in age, and I assume most of the people listening to this left-wing podcast are going to be in our same sort of, like, late, late millennial, early Zoomer sort of bracket. And I think one of the great sort of um, tragedies um, of that era is that I think that we have become really, really... Um, demoralized and really nihilistic um, to a certain extent in a way that I think even younger people don't fully feel. Where I think that oftentimes it becomes like, oh, well, I mean, everything's so hard. How can we ever, you know, can we, you know, can we really win change? Um, and I think part of the reason that's been able to be so successful in like demoralizing, demobilizing people is that because I think the media has pretty systema systematically kept us from both our history and from stuff around the world. I think it's important that there was mass, mass, mass movements in Europe, in Latin America, to legalize abortion that won relatively recently. Um, there were huge mobilizations in Argentina just in the past couple of years to legalize abortion, and they won. And I think that's important. And I think it's important that, you know, we are not starting from scratch. We aren't starting from the ground up, and obviously we need to figure out how to, you know, alter it massage the strategy to fit into an American context, but that doesn't mean that we should just, you know, sit in our hands and give up. Um, and so I think that the one sort of unifying thing of all of these, and I would argue the one unifying um, principle of most movements for human rights has been that they are movements, right? And that um, I, I remember when I was a, a teenager, uh, a teacher of mine said, um, nothing happens until there are thousands of people marching on the streets of Paris. Um, and I think that's really true, right? Is that until we show them that we are mighty, and until we show them that we are pissed off, and until we show them that like we are going to fucking fight for this, they're not going to give it to us, because why would they? And so I, I think there's been this really worrying in the sort of Biden era driving away from, from the streets into sort of like donation mutual aid based things, which like, yeah, please donate to abortion funds in Texas. Like, that's a good thing to do. Sure. Yeah, we should support abortion funds in Texas, but like, that's not going to legalize abortion in Texas. You know what so I mean? I want to interject real quick. 
Um, so I, I think, and you could also apply that logic to the climate crisis, how, of course, there's a lot of mutual aid going on to support people uh, who lost their homes in the hurricane. Obviously, that is a thing to support. Like, like yes, good, support people who are suffering now. But as you're getting into movements. Yeah, and it's like, the own, that's, the, that's the way we win. That's the way we've won for hundreds of years, is that's the way we won the five-day work week. That's how we won the 40-hour work week. That's how we won. That's how we won gay rights. That's how we run, won the right to an abortion last time. That's how we won women's rights. I mean, that that's how we win, right? That's how we won the right to vote for black people. That's how we vote, won the right to vote for women. We won the right to all, everything we've won. We won in the streets, right? And I think that it is kind of foolish to listen to the, you know, again, the very people who got us in this situation as they say, oh, well, actually, no, 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 <laughs> don't, don't get out there. Just do this. And I think that what we need to do is we need to get together and do an, a national and international movement of people of mass mobilization in the streets and in our workplaces to use our power to fight this. What there needs to be is there needs to be a strike in Texas until that law is off the books. No healthcare worker should report to work until that law is off the books, and I guarantee you that law would be off the books within a week. Right? Like, shut down fucking transportation. Shut down industries. Shut it down. What, what do we want? Justice. If we don't get it, shut it the fuck down. And I think that that's a, a chant that we all do, but I think it's a, a thing we're really scared of. And I think that what we always feel so powerless, when I think we, you know, and this is kind of, unfortunately, socialist organizing 101, so I apologize to anyone who's heard better and more experienced comrades give this speech. But, like, the whole world only functions because of regular working people. We are the people who drive the economy, society, and the world. If we decide to use that power, we can change the world. And we have all of these false leaders telling us to not use that power, telling us to not organize across, you know, race, gender, all of that, right? To not think of ourselves as workers, to instead think of ourselves as all these other things. There's always these things they bring up, up to divide us. And I'm not saying that in any way to sort of be like, anti-identity right i'm like a queer trans person like i'm not here to like be like ah too many labels these days like that's not my vibe at all but what i'm saying is that we have to understand that there's an intentional weaponization of our identities an intentional weaponization of our differences as wedge points to keep us from joining together and i think it's really really important that we talk about that actually the right to an abortion is a human right and is a and is a right that is necessary to the functioning of a good society and of a positive society and if that's a thing that we believe then we need to fucking fight like hell to protect it and not give up so easily and that's i think quite frankly what we're seeing is you know people are always talking about what they're going to do if roe v wade is overturned roe v wade is being overturned in front of our eyes what you're doing now is what you would do and all the people who said they would fight, all the people who said they would protest, all the people who said they would demonstrate, do direct actions, all the people who said that, now is the time. 
Now is the time to organize. And it cannot be an individual actions. It has to be a collective thing. And it has to include labor. And it has to include the workplaces because that's where our power is. Our power is in our ability to shut down the subways. Our power is in the ability to shut down factories. That is where our power lays. So we have to go out. Why is every union in Texas not calling a strike? Why are we not seeking national strikes? This There is a 10 thousand dollar bounty for information leading to the capture of people who have abortions in texas why are we not in the streets currently why are we recording a fucking podcast you know what i mean like this is a crisis this is a huge huge crisis a huge huge attack on incredibly marginalized people and we're sitting back and doing nothing we need a mass movement similar to what they had in Latin America, similar to what they had in Ireland, similar to what they had in Poland. We need a Green Bandana movement in the United States very, very quickly if we actually want to defend the right to an abortion. You're going to need to send me your audio. <laughs> that was perfect, except for a solid minute where it was awful uh, <laughs> not for your fault but no i mean no i'm like so happy like when i said like oh you, like that i think you'll like like outdo or, or julia or whatever you, you did this was the conversation i was hoping um uh no we love you julia um but no i was gonna say but sort of on that closing note as your brain uh is there any i don't know any actions you would want to plug maybe say particularly for uh, people located in uh, new york city you know that sort of yes so um and more information about this will be online um but uh on sunday uh september 12th um, La Foyce and uh, Red Bloom Communist Collective, and I think a couple of other New York City-based sort of uh, activist groups have called an action at Union Square. And I want to say 1 p.m. I'm sure Sam can put all the information yeah. in the show notes. Um, we're going to march. There's going to be speakers. We're going to have healthcare workers there. Um, it's going to be a really um, rad action that hopefully will help kick off some other things, because I do not know of a single action in New York around this. And I think that's um, not acceptable. So hopefully folks can join us. Um, I also want to plug um, lafoyce.org. Um, we will be um, covering uh, any actions. If you want to get involved, please send us an email. Um, and if there's any actions happening around you that you want to write about, or you want us to interview you, or you have uh, rad images you want to send us, all of that um, you can find on our website. Um, I think it will be really um, important to showcase whatever uh movement does uh, start around this because again hopefully this is the beginning of the fight and not the end of it mm -hmm. well that was uh ezra brain and uh thank you thank you so much this was so fun